there is a um, there's a serious problem. It's it's almost uh, an epidemic in our country. Uh, that's ha- that's going on right now. Which one? Which one? I thought I'd get maybe a, a question like that. Well, wh- what are you talking about, Michael? Um, uh, what epidemic? Which which problem are you referring to? The problem is joylessness. And there's probably, a, there are a lot of reasons for that. A lot of reasons that people are joyless. And, and you may be wondering, well, okay, uh, can you prove this? We have some scientific studies on this. I mean, I mean uh, how, do, how do you know that that's a, that's a problem, that's an issue? Um, Here's, here's one reason that we know that's an issue. Because people are searching for things to make them happy. They're all, everyone's doing it. And if, if we're, we're searching for this and we're searching for... We're trying to be happy in this. We're trying to be happy in that. We're trying to find some enjoyment in, in this and that and the other thing. Uh, there must be a, a, a hunger, a desire, a need... That's inside of us, an issue. We're trying to solve this problem of a lack of joy, of a lack of enjoyment, or a lack of fulfillment, or, or maybe just, like we say, unhappiness. And so, we've, we live in a nation that our forefathers, those who founded this nation, said, let's put this into our founding documents. The pursuit of happiness. I mean, that's what we're all about. We want, to, we want people to be happy because we weren't happy. We weren't happy under the rule of, a, of another government. Uh, we weren't happy uh, having, being taxed without repre- representation or you know, all of the various reasons for the founding of our country. And then if you just watch TV, just for a, just for a few minutes... Because that's all it takes for your programming to go off and the advertising to begin. So uh, you get about two minutes of programming and then you get about five minutes of advertising and that's pretty much the cycle, right? Just, just watch the advertising. They're trying to sell you stuff that's going to make you happy. That's the way it is. It, it's, it's, all, it, it's all there in order to try to increase your joy, to intr- try to increase your happiness. So what do we do? What's really going to make us happy? What's really going to fill us with joy? What is really going to enable us to enjoy the life that we have and the life that we're living? The Bible helps us. I, I believe it. I believe it helps us. And it's helped me this week as I've, as I've fought the fight for joy in my own life. We're in the letter of Philippians. We've been looking at it. We, we began looking at it last week. And we're going we're gonna to take a look at uh, Philippians each week this fall in, in this series that I've titled The Gospel of Joy. And so... What I want to talk about is that very theme there. So I just turned the world, words around a little bit, and the title of this, this message is Joy in the Gospel. 
The gospel, the good news about Jesus, is good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. And that's what the angels proclaimed when little baby Jesus was born in Bethlehem, lied in a manger. And it hasn't changed. That message, the message is still a message of joy for all people. And we're going to see that today. And then I want us to have joy in the gospel. I want the gospel. It's not just there. It's not just out there like, oh, if I can just enjoy that, if I can just reach that gospel. Uh, Yes. But what I want us to do is I want to go to the gospel, and then I want us to have joy in that. I want us to see that we can have joy in the good news of Jesus. That was, that was, that's what this passage is all about today. So, uh, let's look together. We're in Philippians, the first chapter, verses 3 to 11. Philippians 1, verses 3 to 11. And follow along with me as I read this aloud. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is such an amazing passage. And every time... I read it. It fills me with new joy, and I thank you for that. And I, and I pray that that's what will happen today. That, God, we will not walk away from here feeling discouraged, feeling down, feeling sorry for ourselves, feeling guilty for our sins. God, that we will come today, we will experience you in the next few minutes as you speak to us, as you teach us from this passage of scripture that our joy will be full in you i pray this in the name of jesus amen the gospel joy in the gospel the the word gospel is mentioned a couple times here in this passage uh the gospel is good news. The, the word itself, the original word, the, the Greek word was euangelion. It's a, it's a kind of a fun word if you learn how to say it. It's kind of, uh, what was that again? Um, the word euangelion meant good news or, or a message that was excellent. A message that was excellent. And so this word gospel um, that we have, um, it, it is... It, it, is, it is an excellent message about Jesus and about what He has done for us. The gospel is meant to bring us joy. But one of the things that, and we're going to look at this uh, more closely in a moment, but one of the things about the gospel 
is that the gospel is, uh, as it works in us, it's not just something that we hear once and go, okay, boom, I got it, I heard the gospel, I believe the gospel, and now let's go on with my life so I can be good and, and do the right thing and learn how to be a good Christian. The gospel is a process. A process that, that as we go to the gospel, as we learn the gospel, as we experience the good news over and over again, day after day in our lives, and we learn to live out the implications of the gospel, we learn that it's a gospel, uh, it's a process that begins and ends with God. And because of that, <laughs> because of that, all who put their faith and trust in Jesus, all who, as we were talked about last week, who are in Christ Jesus through faith in Him and have received the grace and forgiveness and mercy and, that, yes, the peace uh, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, all who are in Him, we call them believers, we call them Christians, they can joyfully thank God in all circumstances of life, regardless of the situation, and grow, grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus. I love that. I love that because that's one of the, the, the kind of the pillars of our church. One of the things that, that we believe in strongly, one of the things that we, uh, we've put into our membership covenant, um, we, we, we talk about, maybe not as often as we should, there should be a banner around here that says something like this, but we want individuals to grow in their love and their knowledge of Jesus through personal discipleship, reading the Bible, praying, and group discipleship, meeting with a, a group of men or a group of women throughout the week and, and praying with them and, and talking about God's Word and encouraging one another in those kinds of discipleship groups. We want people to grow like that. And so did Paul. <laughs> we didn't make that up. We're not making up anything as a church. We are simply trying to uh, ex explain and, and summarize what we see here in God's Word, both here in Philippians as well as in all every, every other place throughout the Bible. So, God, the Gospel is a process that begins and ends with God. And because of that, believers can joyfully thank God in all circumstances of life and grow in their love and knowledge of Jesus. Let's take a look and, and, and see verses 3 to 11. We'll, we'll look at it. Phrase by phrase, verse by verse, um, probably. Uh, and and let, me, let me show you how that is true, how that statement is true. But Paul begins um, in verse 3 by saying, I thank my God. Here is the, the, the primary statement of the, uh, 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 the primary uh, subject and verb of a very long sentence that in the original language went from verse 3 all the way through verse 8. One long sentence, and our English translations helpfully break it up so that it doesn't seem so convoluted, but it is convoluted because Paul, who's writing in this original language, he, he's just excited, and he starts writing, and then he writes another clause and another phrase, and, another, and, and he just can't help it. 
just giant run-on sentences. But that's what we have here. But this phrase, I thank my God, is, is the primary subject and verb of the first uh, uh, five, six verses of this particular passage of the Bible. And Paul, everything else unfolds from that. And so let's just kind of take a look phrase by phrase. Paul says, I thank my God. And we may think, um, okay, so Paul, you thank God. Great. Excellent. You know, Paul says that in a lot of his letters. You read the New Testament, you read Ephesians, you read Romans, you read the two letters to the Corinthians, you read letters to the Thessalonians and, and other individuals. He often starts out his letters saying, I thank God for you, I'm thankful for you, or, or he says a blessing and he talks about his relationship with them maybe a little bit. Um, Paul does that a lot. Don't dismiss it. Don't skip over it. Just because he says it a lot doesn't mean it's a formula. There's meaning behind it. He thanks God. And this it's very significant when we think about the situation that Paul was in. So, spoiler alert, I wasn't going to bring this up until a little bit later or prop, um, talk about it. I'll talk about it a lot more next week. Paul is writing this letter in prison. Paul is imprisoned. Most likely, he wrote this letter from Rome. He's in a, he's in a, probably a, not a very nice place in Rome. He's probably not under house arrest at this time. It's probably maybe transitioned from house arrest to actually being literally chained to a Roman guard. But in, in dictating this letter, he probably dictated, probably Timothy wrote it down for him um, because he was there ministering to um, Paul, uh, so he's saying, okay, here's how I want to start. Can you imagine? I don't know if I can do this, but he probably wasn't sitting in a chair, but, but here is his, his, his legs are chained, and his arms are chained. Maybe they're crossed, or maybe they're at his side. And he's like, hey, okay, Timothy, let's get this letter started. Um, I want to start out by saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all. And what does he have to be thankful for? I guess that was my question. What does Paul have to really be thankful for when he's in the, the, these horrible circumstances? Let's keep going. Because <laughs> we'll find the answer in a, in a couple of verses. He thanks God, and in the next phrase, this little, prep, little, little uh, preposition that we have in there in the English Bible is in. He thanks God in all my remembrance of you. That, that is actually a, a, a translation of a, of a little Greek word that's epi. It's a really nice word. But in this case, the word epi means or, or, or refers to time. Refers to time. It refers to when. So we could say this. Um, Paul says, I thank my God, because we get asked the question, well, when does Paul thank God for him? He, he thanks God every time he remembers them. So the Philippian church passes through his mind while he's sitting there, and he's thinking about his life, and he's thinking about all of the things that he's done, and he's thinking about all of the places he's been. He may be even thinking about all of the dangerous and horrible things that have, been, have, that have happened to him, but he goes, Philippi, the believers in Philippi, Ah, time to thank God. He thanks God every time he remembers them. And then he says this, always in every prayer of mine for you all. Uh, so so there's a, it, it's not just every time he remembers them, but every time he prays. 
Maybe he had a list. Maybe he had a tiny little scroll. Um, maybe he had it hidden somewhere. And uh, I don't know. No, he probably didn't. But he probably had a list in his mind, and he's praying through these people. Every time he prays, he prays for them, and he thanks God for them. And then he says, making my prayer with joy. And, and this answers the question, well, how would Paul pray like that? How would, how would Paul thank God for them? Well, this is the way he does it. This is the, the, the way, the, the how of it. He prays with joy. Have you thought about the people in your life? The situations maybe that you've been in. Do those individuals, those people, fill you with joy? Or do they discourage you? Every time you think of them, you go, Oh, man, God, give me somebody else to think about. Why did that person come to my mind? That's not how Paul thinks. Paul is overjoyed when he thinks about them. He thinks about them and he goes, oh, yes, 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 I really like the Philippians. Oh, boy, every time I think about them, I'm excited. This is good stuff. I'm going to thank them. That's how I'm going I'm I'm to I'm I'm thank God with joy. It's exciting. He has passion for them. He's encouraged by them. And if you don't, if you read Philippians and you don't, you don't sense Uh, how much excitement Paul has for the Philippians, how much love he has for them, how much joy he feels for them, you're missing out. You're missing the point. He's filled with joy. Now you may say, well, why? Why does God, or why does Paul, excuse me, thank God with joy whenever he prays for them? Verse 5. Oh, hey, check it out. Verse 5 tells us why. (laughs) Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Here's why. It's because of the gospel that is at work in them, the gospel that is at work in Paul, uh, that, that began on the first day and continues even till the present day. The past and the present, he says. The gospel, or the partnership in the gospel. The partnership. Let me say a word about partnership. Because this is an interesting one. Because oftentimes, and I've I've fallen into this, I see the word partner, and I start to think of church planting partners. (laughs) As a a church planter, you think a lot about partners. You think, who's going to help us pay for this? You know, who's going to help provide financially to support the start of a new church. And so partners, partnership, and then you see this and you go, oh yeah, partnership in the gospel. And you know what? The, the translators of the English Standard Version that I've read to you, uh, and I'm, I'm reading to you now, I'm preaching from, um, I think they were right in doing this because you know what? The Philippian church did support Paul financially. Paul traveled all over the place starting churches. He was a massive church planter slash missionary, and he was doing all of this work, and he needed people to support him, and he needed partners. And so they were a partner with him. They did give gifts to him. They did help him out and meet his needs. But this word partnership means a lot more than just that. It means a lot more than just, hey, I'm going to help to... uh, 
fund your trip. Partnership is a, comes from a Greek word, um, koinonia. Koinonia. This word, um, in other places in the New Testament, it's translated as fellowship. Uh, that, even, that even is weak in, in a lot of, uh, probably a lot of our minds. And for me, uh, uh, fellowship growing up in a Baptist church that actually had a quote-unquote fellowship hall, which was basically just a large gathering place for doing social activities. And so oftentimes we think of uh, partnership, we think of in terms of a lot of just financial support. And then we, if we use the word fellowship, we oftentimes just think of socializing. But that's not what he's talking about either. Socializing in the gospel, funding the gospel. He's talking about, and koinonia refers to sharing together. Being together about a common thing. And so that could mean socializing. That could mean financial um, support. It means, though, sharing in what the gospel is all about. And so when he's thanking God, he's thanking God because of their sharing in the gospel. The gospel that they heard. The gospel that in the next verse we see referred to as the good work. Verse 6, and if you keep with us in Philippians, it won't just be verse 6, it'll be several other verses. You'll see verses that are on coffee mugs, verses that are on posters in youth groups or youth, youth rooms. or um, You'll see um, uh, verses that are on t-shirts that athletes refer to and they say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Um, you'll see all of these types of phrases in Philippians. You'll go, that sounds familiar. I think I've heard that before. And here's one of those verses. Verse 6. He says, I'm sure of this that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That's a pretty familiar verse. He who began a good work in you. Well, the good work that Paul is talking about is the good work of the gospel. The gospel, this is where we see the gospel process. That, that God began a good work in the Philippians. And He is going to continue it. The gospel process begins and ends with God. The gospel process is what, what Paul uh, stops in the middle of this sentence and he adds this f funky phrase and closet and he goes off the rails a little bit. Get, he's not talking about thanking anymore, but he's, now he's talking about what are the theological truths that are, that are motivating my thanks. And then this is what it is. That when I look back, I don't look back to my time in Philippi, and I think, what tribulations we went through. I don't think back to the fact that I was uh, falsely accused, that I was 
uh, thrown into jail, that I was beaten to within an inch of my life, to that I survived an earthquake, and then after all of that, I was run out of town. Paul doesn't look back on his life and look at the things that he did wrong, the things that people did wrong to him, or the circumstances of his life that were negative. He looks back and he says, God began a good work. That's what he sees. And I know, I'm confident in this, a, 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 a good way of putting it is, is having been confident of this, in other words, there was a moment in time where Paul, maybe a light bulb went off in his head, and he went, ah, I'm confident in this. And you know what? That truth, that moment, that experience of, of being sure, of being confident, has gone with him and has carried with him just like God carries the work of the gospel with us. Paul is saying, I was sure of it then, I was sure, I am sure of it now, and I'm, and I'm going to be sure tomorrow when I wake up. I'm going to be confident in this truth that God does a work in the gospel in us. That this is a process that it begins and ends with God. I, I, I wonder if um, we can learn from that. I wonder if we can, we can join Paul in being confident and being sure of this truth. What are some of the things that steal our joy? I'll tell you, I, because I've talked with a lot of people who come to me completely forlorn, completely despondent, completely discouraged, and they say to me, I made a whole bunch of mistakes. I have screwed up. I have done this, I have done that, I have done the other thing. How in the world can I have joy? What hope is there for me? I can't go on. Paul says, if you are in Christ, we don't look back at our mistakes and, and lose joy. <laughs> we look back and, and say with the, the songwriter, you know the song, I'm not going to sing it, but hear the words, my sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. He doesn't let his past sins Destroy his joy in Christ. Joy in the gospel. Paul says, I will get to it in a few weeks. He says, he looks back on his life and he goes, I did all kinds of wonderful, great things, but those were nothing. In another place, Paul writes to his, his protege Timothy, who was with him in this Philippian letter, and he says, he says to him, I look back on my life, and I see that 
I was the worst of sinners. I received grace. I was called to God's service, even though I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor of Christians in the church, and I was a violent man. But when I look back, I don't see, oh, woe is me. Look what I have done. Look at the mistakes I've made. I go, oh, Lord, I've received mercy from you. I have received grace. And that fills me with joy. Are you looking back on your past and going, I, I really messed up. I, I royally screwed up. I have made mistakes I don't think I'll ever recover from. And that's who I am. And that's what my life is about now. And I don't know if I can ever truly be happy. Paul is calling out to you and the Holy Spirit is calling to you saying, leave it at the foot of the cross. And in place of that, pick up the joy of the gospel that I have for you. The joy of being in Christ Jesus. The joy in the good news. The marvelous message. The excellence of what I have done for you in Christ. That's what he's calling us to do. Or, or may, we may look back on our life and go, yes, that may be true. Okay, I'm, I've come to terms with my sins. But you, know, you don't know what I've gone through. You don't know the circumstances of my life. You don't know how this has happened to me and that has happened to me. You don't know about the death. You don't know about the financial difficulties. You don't know about the illness and the, and the, and the struggles. You don't know about the, the natural disasters that have occurred in my life. You don't know those things. Those circumstances have, have destroyed me. I don't know if I can have joy any longer. And Paul says, and the Holy Spirit says to you, so, <laughs> I have gone through hell. I have gone through beatings. I have been left for dead. I have been shipwrecked at sea. I have been persecuted in this town and in that town. I've been persecuted in the city and I've been persecuted in the country. I have experienced all of these things all of these circumstances, and that doesn't even compare to what Jesus has gone through. And he went through being innocent, suffering for our sake, being beaten, being abused, being mocked, being crucified, and dying in agony. Paul says, I've yet to share in Christ's suffering, even though all of these things have happened to me. But you know what? I look back at those things, and I see my grace is sufficient for you. That is, the grace of God in Christ, the good news of the gospel, is sufficient 
for those things. And when he looks back, he doesn't look back at his time in prison. He doesn't look at his chains and go, woe is me. He says, I am in Christ. I, I thank God with joy because of what I've experienced. Because it's all about Jesus. It's all about what he's done. You may look back at your life and think, okay, that's good. All right, I've come to terms with my circumstances my own sin, but there are people in my life who've hurt me. There are people in my life who've disappointed me, discouraged me, brought me down. I have counted on them and they have failed me. How can I have joy? Paul says, the Holy Spirit says to us the same. He who began a good work in you, in the gospel, in your salvation, He will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And then Paul, he doesn't stop there. Uh, Verse 7, he says, it's right for me to feel this way about you all. You may be wondering, how can I feel that way? Well, it's the right thing. It is a good thing for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. I feel for you. I love you. I, I, I have, uh, I have your, your, your thoughts and, and your, your memories and uh, loving feelings for you in my heart. And, and here's another reason for you're all partakers with me of grace. So he's restating the partnership in the gospel that he, that, that he said earlier, but he's saying it in a slightly different way. He's like, we, you are partners with me. You are partakers with me in the gospel. That's grace. You have received grace. I received grace. Remember who he was talking to? Remember who this church was? Uh, We read about in Acts chapter 16. Paul goes to Philippi and he meets a woman named Lydia. And she was leading a, a, a Bible study of sorts down by the river. And they worshiped God. The, all of these women worshiped God together, but they didn't know Jesus. And Paul explained Jesus to them and they went, that's what we've been waiting for. That's what we've been hoping for. And they responded to the gospel and they received that grace. And then they said, okay, we will love you and support you and come, stay with us while you're, at, while you're serving here in Philippi. And then remember the slave girl, the slave girl who was possessed by a demon which gave her abilities to do fortune telling. And she mocked Paul and, and Silas and Timothy and the rest of them in the streets. Oh, these men are great. Oh, oh, you should listen to them. Not. And Paul got so fed up with that, he said, Demon, leave that girl. And it did. And her life was radically changed. And we have no reason to believe that she didn't join that, that fledgling church plant and grow in Christ in that way. And, and that was a grace in her life. And then there was Philippi, or excuse me, then there was the, the jailer. Because right after that, the, the slave girl's owners didn't like what he said. And so they th- threw him in jail and he was beaten and he was, he was chained up. And, and then the earthquake happened. And I, I explained this live. I don't preach last week's message, but there's a Philippian jailer who responded to the gospel when he was so despondent. And he said, the circumstances that I'm in right now, I cannot overcome. My life is over. I am going to end it right here. Paul said, don't 
Don't end your life. Let's talk about Jesus. Because Jesus is greater than your circumstances. Jesus is greater than the situation that you find yourselves in. And He received grace. And He partook of it. And He shared in that grace. And then Paul... So that's all happening. That's what Paul was dealing with. And that's who he's talking to right here. That's the, that's the background for all of what's going on. And then he says both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. He's saying, okay, you partakers with me of grace, uh, the grace of the gospel, the gospel that was a good work that be- God began in you uh, long before and now is still at work in my imprisonment. We'll talk about more, uh, talk more about that next week when we see, we, we look more detail of what was really going on with Paul in prison and why he could have this confidence. Why he could talk about the confirmation of the gospel. How could the gospel be confirmed, the good news of Jesus be confirmed in his imprisonment? Short story is that God provided opportunities for the gospel to be shared while he was in prison, while he was going through suffering and pain and hardships in greater ways than if he had just been hunky-dory walking on the sunny side of the street. And that's how the gospel is confirmed in Paul and confirmed in the Philippians. He says, for God is my witness. Just in case they hadn't got it, just in case they were having a hard time believing Paul's attitude and his, his joy and his, and his gratefulness for all that was going on, he says, God is my witness. God sees inside of me. God knows my heart. He knows. He knows. How I yearn for you all. How I love you. How I long for you. How I want to be with you again. How I want you to grow in Christ. How I want you to know this truth. The affection of Christ Jesus. The gospel process enables us to joyfully thank God. That's the first half and the second half is much more Uh, is much more brief. But the other side of the coin is this. The gospel process enables us to joyfully grow in Christ. Look what he says briefly with me. And he says, and it is my prayer. Now he goes from the thanks and and he begins a, a new sentence. And he says, okay, this is my specific prayer for you. My supplication, my intercession for you that your love may abound more and more. He is concerned for their love. What love? The love of Christ? Certainly. The love and knowledge of Jesus? Absolutely. The love for one another? Of course. It's all of those things. He wants them to grow, to abound, to increase in their love for one another and their love for God. He's echoing, I think, I think behind that phrase there, love may abound, is the greatest commandment. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that's what's behind 
Paul's prayer for their love to increase. And, and how does he want it to increase? What does he want their love to increase in? And it's this, with knowledge and all discernment. He wants them to know more about Jesus. He not wants them to know more about God's ways and his will for their lives so that they can love better. And their discernment can increase. Their, their, their understanding, able to, to, to see the truth. And, and that's explained in more uh, detail or in a, in a different way um, in verse 10. Um, so that you may approve what is excellent. And approve is not just um, quality control. Um, yes, that's good. Yes, that's it. Yes, that's good. In a sense, it's, it's kind of like that. Uh, it's, it's about testing, though right? It's about testing. It's about, I'm going to investigate this, and I'm going to test it, and then I'm going to discern if this is the best. And it's not just, oh, that's excellent wine, or that's excellent cheesecake. I like cheesecake, by the way. Um, but, or, or that's an excellent football team. But it's, this is the best. What? So that, you may approve what it, so that you may approve excellence in just about anything? No. You may, so that you may approve what is the best way for you to love and to live. That's what Paul's interested in here, and he's going to get into that later in this letter. He's setting up this theme now that, that our love, that the way we love, that the way we live is how we grow in Jesus, how we grow in Christ. And so he, he sets that up here in verse 10 so that you may approve what is excellent. And why? What is going to happen? What does he hope for them? What does he want them to be like when they grow and they mature so that they'll be pure? Um, that means sincere without any kind of, of error or without any kind of double-mindedness and blameless. That means they are they are innocent of sin for the day of Christ. In other words, so that when they stand before Jesus in that final day, that's what Paul means by the day of Christ, the end of time as we know it, when we are standing before the throne, that when we're there, we have grown and matured in love and knowledge and discernment and approving of excellence and purity and blamelessness so that we can stand there before Jesus like that. Verse 11, he says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. The fruit of righteousness that what has been produced by your life, is honoring to God. And it comes through the work of Jesus in us. comes through the fact that he, he is the one who is causing and enabling the growth to the glory and praise of God. And, oh, it would be so easy to just leave that last phrase there like, Paul's just kind of adding a, a flourish at the end with a little amen. But here's what he's talking about. He is talking about the ultimate goal, the ultimate end of the, the, the life of a believer. What is our ultimate end? Purity? Blamelessness? Perfection? Um, uh, goodness? Um, uh, mortifying the flesh? 
and, the, and sin? Uh, is that our ultimate end? Is that our ultimate aim? Paul is referring to what, what the, the, Wentz, the Westminster divines recorded in their um, catechism as the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That is what we were created for. And so, what he's thinking about is this. He's thinking about that gospel process. The gospel process that God began in them and will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, so that you'll be filled with fruit, the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ in verse 11. Verse 10, so that you'll be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then at the very end of this passage in the last phrase, to the glory and praise of God. Here's what he's saying. There's going to come a time when you're standing before the throne and you'll see God in all of his holiness and all of his perfection. And you'll realize the truth of the statement um, that's not a throwaway statement, that God always does what is good and right and perfect. And you'll, you'll stand there and you'll be in awe. And, and you may stand for a second and, and before long, you'll probably drop to your knees. You may not have the, the strength to stand. You may not have the courage to stand because you will see God in all of His excellence and all of His glory, the One who created all things. And by, all, by His hands, the world and the universe is in order. And we'll stand or fall or on our face before Him and, and we will do one of two things. We will cower in fear or we will rejoice and give Him glory and praise. Oh, because every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We will either go, Jesus is Lord, woe is me. Or we will go, Jesus is Lord. I have found the, the joy, the fulfillment of all of my longing. There's a song that we sing fairly often, and Jesus paid it all. And one of the final verses of that song refers to when I stand before the throne. Um, stand in Him complete, right? When before the throne, I stand in Him complete. Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. We will stand before Him if we are in Christ, confident that He will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ the good work of the gospel that He began in us through faith in Jesus. He will bring that to completion and we will stand and we will say, Jesus died my soul to save. And that will be our song. That will be the, 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 the resonating um, words that come out of our mouths and we will join together and we will sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and glory and honor and majesty. Worthy. That is what we are 
aiming for. That is, that is the end of the process of the gospel that God began in us. If we are in Christ, if you don't have joy, if you're looking back on your past and your experiences, your sins, your failures, or the, the failures of others against you, and those things are stealing your joy, I don't want you to walk out of this room without dealing with that. With God. And saying, God, I need to know this. I need to experience this good work beginning in me. I want to encourage you to do that today. Don't let it go. If you've not received Christ, if you don't know that that work has begun in you, do it today. Do it today. So that you may stand at the day of Christ or kneel or bow or be prostrate in the day of Christ giving glory and praise to the God who saved you. Let's pray. Father, bless our time now as we respond to you in our hearts and our minds in the singing as well. Lord God, I pray that you will fill us with your joy. Fill us with the hope and the, and the glory of what you are doing in us, what you began in us in Christ and what you will do. And Lord, if there are any here who have not responded, Lord, today's the day. What better day what better time than now to, to, to put faith in you, to, to proclaim, uh, to, to pray to you, God, forgive me, I know I messed up. I, I, I don't have it all together. I need you. I need your grace. I need your mercy. Forgive me for going my own way. Forgive me for, for doing my own thing. I want the joy that only you can give me. Joy in the gospel. I want your forgiveness. I want your salvation. I want you to be my Lord. Lord, we love you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.